Welcome to the Transform Sales Podcast, where forward-thinking business leaders come to share their experiences and ideas, learn from each other, and amplify their results together. Hey guys, Amir Ryder here with a, another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. My guest, Chris Rack with Demand Science. Chris, what's up? How are you? Good, good. How are you, Amir? I'm good. I love the name Demand Demand Science because I'm all about demand and I like the scientific approach. So, so you got me interested already with, with the name. Um, excited to, to talk to you today. For, for those that are the first time listeners, we often have people on listening to this podcast who are either sales agency owners themselves or first time buyers of outsourced sales, sometimes repeat buyers. And the idea here is for us to talk freely about the mistakes that buyers make during the process with the hopes that if they hear us talk about the mistakes, they might not do those same mistakes again. But before I get into that, we'd love for you to introduce yourself, tell everybody who you are, and especially how you got into the lovely business of outsourced sales to begin with. God, so I'm Chris Rack. I'm the Chief Revenue Officer. Um, I've been in, we'll call it the demand generation space for about 17 years now, right? So, you know, we work, I've worked in all really all stages of the funnel across my tenure. So I've worked with some companies at the very top of the funnel um, where we focus a lot of our time here at Demand Science on intent and syndication. I've worked in some spaces at the very bottom of the funnel and appointment setting and SDR type services as well too. So I've really worked with sales and marketing professionals from top to bottom um, across many different companies and many different facets. So I've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting wins. I've seen a lot of interesting misses and, and a lot of in between over those years. We're going to talk about the misses but before we do that. How, how much revenue have you guys helped over the years? Um, demand demand science specifically or, or, or like, so, I mean, you, demand you science, and demand science. I know it's a big yeah, number. So, People like um, the numbers. Yeah. So we are collectively at demand science in my tenure here. We're in the hundreds of millions. Yeah. Which, which is awesome. Um, and great. Where are you based to, by the way, you're, you're, you're stateside, you're, you're in Chicago, you mentioned? Correct. I sit in Chicago where we have a sales office um, in the far western suburbs of Chicago. It's just easier to say Chicago, but it's really closer to Iowa than Chicago. Um, the, the Man Science North American headquarters sits in uh, right outside of Boston as well. So we have offices in London, Sydney, Singapore, Boston, Chicago, um, and, and continuing to grow. Awesome. Awesome. I think you guys acquired one of my friend's companies. Um, I think, I think what you guys did was uh reply that I, no, no, no. Airborne. That was yes, you guys. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's awesome. Small world. Um, so you've seen it, you've been around and you've seen it all 17 years. So I think this is going to be an awesome answer for, for me to hear, uh, for me to ask and for people to hear mistakes that buyers make. And now I'm not talking about the mistakes they make that affect your ability to convert them as a customer really focusing in on the mistakes they make that one hurts them during the selection process and leads into poor performance. Has there been something that's just been repeating over and over again that you've, you've said, Hey buyer, if you, if you don't make this mistake, I can help you better. What's, what has that been? Really? It always comes down to setting to setting and having realistic expectations of what deliverables are. Right. You know, too often, especially in the demand generation and, and sales outsourcing space, Folks are looking to maximize resources and lower cost, but they have this perception that an outsourced company is some sort of magic in a bottle, right? Generating meetings, opportunities, pipeline is, is the hardest thing for any B2B company to do. Any company, right? If you add top 10 things that, that challenge every sales leader, generating pipeline meetings and opportunities is always going to be number one. So thinking that another company 
who doesn't know your product services industry as well, et cetera, et cetera, is magically just going to fix all of your challenges, right? Is probably a perception that you shouldn't have. And if there's a vendor out there who's telling you they can, you should probably run away fairly fast. And they do. And they do. And that's the part of this podcast is so that people can hear the biggest and the best companies saying the truth uh, and not get into the hands of the people who say, um, yeah, your unrealistic goals are realistic for us because they never are. And it always ends up in the same thing. I tried outsourcing before and it doesn't work. So it's the same end result. So this makes a lot of sense. And we've heard this before, right? So there's a commonality. Um, unrealistic expectations, right? So anybody listening, um, Chris Sachs has been the chief revenue officer of Advanced Science for some time now. And it's been the same thing over and over again. If you are shopping with unrealistic expectations, you will most likely be unhappy with any company you hire, right? Um, and it's it, it, it's interesting what you said, right? Like, like my driving demand is one of the hardest things and it should be right. And that's why historically speaking, people in sales typically earn more money, right. Um, compared to like customer support. Right. So we, you know, I think a lot of companies that hire internally, they typically have higher salaries for their account executives or sales reps. Right. So they know it's harder, but then when they go to purchase, all of that changes. Right. And now it's low cost, lower results, faster results. Why do you think that really happens? Is it, is it a lack of, is it a lack of education about the thing or is it more or the fact that they, they have a problem when they come to an outsourced sales company and now they're under the gun? Like what's, what's the, what's the real symptom here? I mean, it's, it, it's just your, your consistent look for lightning in a bottle, right? Like everybody just has hope I mean, everybody has hope that like, someone can help me solve this thing that is really hard to solve, right? And one of the biggest challenges is that, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the stats in the press out there that most revenue leaders, especially in B2B, get about an 18 month life, lifespan, right? You get hired, there's big goals, and most get about 18 months to either crush them or move on, right? So usually the outsourcing conversation either starts really where at the beginning and that's when that happens usually you have a cro or a sales leader who's really well versed in the market right knows what to expect and, and sets up the foundation of their team right as outsourcing is a component of it from a cost optimization structure usually what happens though is not that and you have somebody who's been doing it 12 13 months they're struggling they haven't been able to solve for it they can't figure it out and now they're throwing you know, proverbial, I'll use, you know, American football references. I don't know how international your audience is, but they're throwing proverbial Hail Marys, right? Maybe this thing can fix me. Maybe this company, maybe this expert, maybe this LinkedIn guru who talks about how many meetings they set for my competitor can solve my worries, right? And most of the time they're looking for a lightning in a bottle and it just, it just never correlates that way, right? Sales development, even whether you're doing it internally or with a partner is a process. It's a learning process. It takes time, right? That's why most commitments with sales development professionals should be 12 months because you, you haven't figured it out for, for, the, for the first six of those 12 months as you're currently you know, working with messaging and audience reach and, and all of that, right? It's not as simple as, you know, anybody with an outreach instance, some data and a couple of sellers does not, does not make an, a sales development outsourcing company. They think it does these days, but it doesn't. Interesting. Uh, I kind of, I, I tend to agree with uh, all the things you said, because I've, I've, I've seen, I've seen similar things happen um, about that 12 month mark. It's something that I would bring up where in my early contest used to be a service company before it was a marketplace. And we used to do month by month deals and 
thought we were were great and um we had the m most amount of unhappy customers and when we started doing 12-month contracts with a four month out right we had it out like it, all of a sudden we kept like 90 percent of our customers and they renewed so there's definitely a balance, I think, between commitment and time, right? Um, and it's it's kind of one of those hard things where it's very hard to tell a buyer like this 12 month contracts for your own benefit because you're probably going to want a cash flow ROI on a nine month sales cycle in three months and lose all your money, which which happens. So it's 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 like a tough thing, being like this is for you. But I am actually a strong believer after seeing probably 700 programs and hearing about them, where I think there's that sweet spot with a 12 month commitment, maybe an out of certain metrics, but it's a big difference when people are not, when people think it's a short-term band-aid, right? And they're getting into results. They're typically unhappy. And I think they forget to, to realize that um, even with a, an agency like Demand Science, right? Like the first 90 days is pretty much building a program basically, right? Depending on the program. So um, that's it. You know, I think, I think a lot of people listening to this, if you really want to um, grow your sales, I think you've got to start asking about about the worst case scenarios, not the best case scenarios, right? I think it's like everyone, everyone tries to buy on the best case scenario, right? But it's like a, it's like a budget, right? If you're planning on making a thousand dollars and then you make five hundred, you might be not able to pay your bills. But if you plan for five hundred bucks and you make a thousand, you're in a better situation, right? And I, I think that uh, Chris, you probably share that same sentiment that um, setting right expectations doesn't mean that people are going to work less hard right i think there's like this thing where it's like if i don't ask for 20 meetings per month the guys are not going to work 40 hours a week right um i think we need to learn how to separate that and say hey you know be be delighted by the results not setting up crazy expectations where right off the bat even if you have a lot of the times the people you know they they have a great roi but if your expectations are off they're going to be unhappy you know and i'm sure you've yeah. seen have you ever seen customers that had like a 500% ROI, but because their expectation was 2000%, now, now they're unhappy with you. Oh yeah. And that's on the seller who sold the solution. Right. You know, and I tell that to my sellers all the time, right? Like, I mean, it's, and it's, it's really just a matter of that, like ask you know, having a realistic, I mean, if you, one of my first mentors told me that the deals that are the ones that really make or break your business are the ones that you walk away from. Right. And most sellers, especially in, in performance based media, right, whether it be top of funnel, mid funnel or services, don't have the discipline to walk away from what is a bad deal. Right. Everybody has the client who says, give me the one month test. If you show return, I'll buy so much more from you. They never do. Right. Because never. the expectations they have on that one month. Right. So like being willing to walk away from a deal and say, hey, I believe in what we do. It's a 12 month process. And at the end of the 12 months, you're delighted like all of these other hundreds of customers that I have, right? And if that doesn't work for you, I can recommend a couple of other vendors who have shorter terms that may or may not work, right? But again, it's there's nothing more powerful in the sales process than telling a customer that we're not a good fit for you, right? Because that's, that's truly believing in what you do and doing it well versus trying to accommodate crazy expectations of customers. And it's not easy to do. Most sellers mess it up terribly. Yeah, most leaders mess it up, but most everybody less than that. I, I think <laughs> it's like that Warren Buffett thing when you finally learn how to say no is when you finally start to make money. And it's just hard. It, it's, it's hard. It's hard to process it's the same thing. The concept of failure is success, right? Like it's very hard for people to process like failure success, right? But it, it, it is every time over and over again, right? And it's the same thing as saying no. Um, that's a whole different ballpark to walk into, like how account executives should be compensated, like, like more into 
the the onboarding and i do think that there's something fundamental with the way we sell that leads to that but it also starts i think with buyers understanding that you know there's a the buyers can almost sometimes negotiate themselves out of the service they want right um and i i noticed that very often if you work with some of these companies they have very strict rules and they stick to it for a reason we say we have these rules for your benefit right and then when you do the same thing to them it's a whole different thing so um, and it's, it's interesting because even software as a service, SaaS, right, is outsourcing. It's don't build your own software, pay for us. But then you have software companies that go, we don't outsource. And it's like, well, if you're fundamentally telling your buyers not to build their own software and, and outsource their software development to you by renting it, and you don't buy that way, there's a little bit of a disconnect, right? And I think, it, I think ultimately it affects the buyer's ability to sell and it affects seller's abilities to, to like customers, right? Um, over, over and over again. Um, so that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I tend to agree with the things you said. I've seen it as well. I think that uh, unrealistic expectations are always like the, the kiss of death for probably a lot of things in life, right? Um, talk to me about mistakes buyers make now that they are working with you, right? Like they, they pick the right vendor, they're, they're working with a company like Demand Science or Demand Science. Has there been something that just comes up over and over again now? It's like, okay, we got over the hurdle of how you buy. Now you're a customer. Now don't make these mistakes so that we can get you the results. What, what does those look like? I think some people, you know, customers tend sometimes overcomplicate things. You know, they're just adding layers of complexion into setups and flows and, and things of that nature, right? You know, which multiples, multiple instances of CRM and software and techs and connectors and APIs, right? And variables and fields. And it gets just too into the weeds where in, in its simplest form, just getting, you know, leads and opportunities in the right spot, right? And, and, and moving them most efficiently through your funnels is the best way to go, right? I mean, if I were to give advice to, to any customer working with any vendor in the demand generation space, it's, it's again, make sure you're working at all levels of the funnel, right? You know, because the bottom of the funnel in the actual setting of the appointment, whether you use an internal SDR team or an, an external SDR team, if you're reaching out to a group of folks who, who are, who are somehow got into your email nurture flow and you've been educating them with content and you've been educating them on the problems of the space and the solutions and the different variables when your sdr or the outsource sdr calls and says hey i'm from demand science like it resonates and it clicks that this company actually knows what it's talking about and now they're more open to that meeting that call etc so most most of the time it's over reliance on one tactic is where I'll, you know like i'll have a customer come to me and be like you know, we are you, you know, we're doing appointment setting already. And I'm like, well, what about the top of the phone? What about the middle? You know, what about other services, you know, at different stages of the buying process? You, know, you, you can't eliminate one of them just because you're focused on a different tactic, right? That's usually a, a pretty common mistake folks make. Do you think that's a symptom of lack of education or lack of tools or lack of process or just a combination of all? Like what, what's the... No, it's, it's, it's a combination of all. It's really like, I mean, running full funnel you know, sales and marketing working together, right, to, to work on both the top, middle and bottom of the funnel is really complicated and most teams don't do it well, right? So that's obviously a challenge and it has been the, a challenge since the dawn of time and marketing and sales existed, you know, the amount of expertise, you know, and, and obviously it's not easy to create content that's engaging in a, in a world that there's content everywhere. Right, everywhere you look, there's con you know, good, bad, or indifferent content being generated. So consistently having a team that's generating con 
content that's resonating with your ICP and resonating with your customers and really, really gaining value. It's not an easy thing to do. There's, there's not a, an unlimited supply of people who are creating good content these days. There's a lot, there's a limited supply of people creating content, but the amount of it that's actually valuable and good is, is significantly de decreasing. And you can just jump onto LinkedIn and find that out fairly quickly. hundred percent. It's explosion of it. It's interesting. I, I you know, I, I'm almost for me, and this is somebody who, you know, ran big SDR teams, and 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 I, uh, I've been in the business for quite some time. I I feel like the word demand gen is not really properly understood, and I feel like buyers don't really see their websites as being a store, right? Um, and and they're oftentimes this word inbound and outbound for me is confusing because I'm like, well, if you have SDRs that are following up with people that filled out forms that's inbound. Now they're in MQL. Now you're calling them as outbound. I'm like, for me, it's just all revenue and demand gen. Right. And I feel like that separation is what kills a lot of revenue teams versus everybody's just on the revenue team and everybody's just following, understanding who our TAM is and where they're on the stage. And I think that a lot of that, in my opinion, maybe you can correct me if you want, like, I think a lot of it to do with this big growth spurt we had. Right. And I think now we're entering probably in a phase of, of more predictable growth, more profitable growth. And, Unless let's just hire hundred SDRs, hire a bunch of outsourced sales companies. Let's not plan it. Right. I, I, I almost feel like we were in a symptom of just really good times where everybody was just doing what everyone else was doing without measuring it. Um, what do you think about that? Do you, do you oh, it's, it, and there's a whole generation over the past five years of sellers who aren't actually very good at sales, who think they are because they happen to be in a market that uh, almost any human could sell it. Right. You know, I sold in, I sold in 2008. Um, you know, I saw I sold in the times up and down before then, you know, and I've seen a lot of it and and selling, you know, in generating meetings and, and with with I mean, money was cheap for the past four years and the amount of funding going into all different types of spaces, the amount of companies operating on significant cash burns, really fueling growth at all costs, really funneled directly into the sales and marketing services and software business substantially. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it was, I mean, there's 3,300 marketing technology companies, right? I think there's more. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's 77,000, you know, like, I mean, you've seen, everybody's seen that infographic, right? So there's just so much out there and it, it's become so diluted that everybody kind of, I guess you would say, I agree with you. They've, they've lost the vision, right? Identify your ICP, engage them, right? And then, and then, you know, build a level of trust with them that you know what you're talking about and they will come to you to solve your problems. Whether yeah. you, whether you make that connection at the end via an inbound request to your website or an outbound call from an SDR, both can happen, but you can't, you can't just magically hire a bunch of people, make a lot of calls and it turns into revenue for you. Well, you can't you you lose your money. You could. It was, it's just it's just an expensive way to go about it. Yeah. You might as well donate it to the demand science fund. Yeah. <laughs> you can donate that to any time and that fund anytime you'd like. I, I'm happy to take money to the demand science fund. My girls are in competitive cheerleading. It's really expensive. And, you know, like they like all that stuff. So that's why I work, you know, 80 hours a week to make sure that cheerleading happens. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, if you move it's to Colombia, it'll be a lot cheaper. Everything seems to be cheaper here. I live in Medellin, Colombia, where, where oh. I, even a full-time trainer, top notch is a hundred bucks for a month, you know, so right. versus a hundred dollars a day. So we could fix yeah, that. Competitive cheerleading would probably still be expensive there too. I would bet. One fifth the price. Yeah. 
everything's one fifth device when you change when you convert the money over to, to pesos which is that's a separate call i'll get you to come down here for got for it our, okay i'll check it out for our event um talk to me about like your best buyer if you had to only pick and i know that you guys work with both services and i know you work with software but if you had to pick and you could only pick one which would it be and why um you know i we work generally best in the technology and software space right just because they're um you know their growth models are built to align with our product suite the closest right and uh -huh. um and you know technology is technology is it's it's better aligned with that that i have a problem help me solve it and educate me on it right you know most technology companies have a lot more they're a lot more content heavy which is the foundation of demand sciences demand solutions right yeah like that makes take, a lot of sense we take customers content and turn it into opportunities leads and revenue so um services companies a lot of times don't have a lot of great content to put out there because it's not easy to that sometimes it's not easy to take a service and put it into a nice consumable piece of content as it is a piece of software which could be a demo or a, a slide share or something of that nature so um altogether i mean we have a lot we have clients across multiple industries who work with us and really the ones who are most successful the ones who are partners in success right where we get on calls and and, and we're happy and willing to tell them that they may be doing something that they should change or try a different alternative and they're open to those alternatives and they're happy to tell us that we should make some tweaks on our side and we're happy to do that and we find a middle ground that creates long-term success i mean of our top 20 customers you know, 95 percent of them have been with us for three and four years plus and a lot of them are big right so a lot of notable brands i i, I they are they are fairly large yes yeah some of the enterprise big companies i know we can mention them here but but they're you guys work with some of the biggest and the best companies that are that are uh, consistently hitting forecast or publicly a lot of them are publicly traded i know um and and you guys are part of that forecast secretly which is awesome um tell me about region are you guys better suited for emea united states right like like, like if someone's listening in they got a software they got a product they got content they want to they want to get some top of the funnel activity do you guys have a particular region that you prefer we're a global company so we have i have, I have teams in uh, U us uh amia and apac we're both on australia and in the upper apac region as well my north american teams handle handles any latin american stuff as well too um and i have a couple i have a couple of my european folks who speak spanish and portuguese for on a on occasion i'll have a customer who only only speaks in portuguese and i have a couple of folks there who kind of sub in for email writing and things of that nature that being said you know you got things like chat gtp and things of that nature that can help us do instant translations and stuff on that side which has been quite helpful recently in engaging with our, our customers who aren't you know who in languages we aren't fluent with but you know i think we have customers in 23 different 20 27 different countries now so it continues to grow Awesome. So one last question before I let you go, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about ChatGTP because you guys are very content heavy. How do you see ChatGTP and products like that changing the landscape for sales agencies like Demand Science in 2023 and beyond? It's fascinating. Um, you know, I mean, I think that a year doesn't go by when someone says that sellers aren't going to get replaced by AI or something of that nature. Um, and I, th I think I just posted on LinkedIn or I have a post coming up on LinkedIn that I have scheduled because yes, people do schedule their LinkedIn posts. But uh, um, I chat GP and, and AI technology isn't going to replace sellers and, and sales services, right? But it is going to make the, those who embrace it really, really good at it, right? 
you know, like that, like there's no, there's never a time that like buying and selling is too much of a human process, right? There's too much emotion in it. I don't care if you're a B2B buyer. I don't care if you're a B2C buyer, right? Buying a piece of software carries the same emotion to it as buying a box of cereal as you're walking out of the grocery store because it looks delicious and it's perfectly placed, right? There's always going to be emotion in there. And as long as there is that emotion, like trust, trust is something that a, a computer can try to regenerate, but it'll never be able to recreate, right? Because it's something that happens organically. And sometimes it's something that's beyond our control. Some people have generally trusting tones of voice, generally trusting vibes. Gener- and, and at the end of the day, buying and selling, especially large, in some cases, very large software purchases, it comes down to, do I trust that this person's going to make me look good in the long run? And there's no bot that's going to be able to ever accomplish that. But is it going to make me more efficient? Right. Like, again, I uh, this week with ChatGTP, I wrote a job description that HR has been bothering me about for an account executive. So instead of writing it myself, I typed in a ChatGP job description for lead generation account executive and it wrote it for me. And it was quite amazing. Um, you know, I asked it to rank different cities, that, you know, rank things to do in London because I'm going to London next week to see my team and I wanted to check some things out and it gave me a stack ranked of things to do in London based on people's, you know, so like the amount of ways that humans can use this technology to become more efficient, more productive and really do great things is is really astounding. Um, is it going to increase the amount of LinkedIn messages I get from bots that say things that I'm going to ignore? Yes, it will do that, right? Is it going to is it going to increase the amount of emails that you and a lot of your buyers get that are written by bots that are fairly terrible and pointless? Yes, it's going to do that as well too, right? But those of us who understand the foundations of selling and how to use that technology just the right amount by still putting a be human approach to it are the ones that are going to exceed. Those who rely on it to replace and cut efficiencies all altogether will end up struggling because most people can, most buyers can tell a bot when a bot is engaging with them about a mile away, no matter how good the AI is. And most people get turned off by it. So just to recap that from what I'm hearing, and I think I agree with most of the points, uh, ChatGDP is going to make, uh, it's going to allow better sellers to get better, right? Better writers to get better. Um, It's not going to replace any jobs because human touch is still needed. I agree with you. And it's an opportunity for people to take their game up to the next level. I agree with all that, right? I think the one thing we didn't mention is that the people that put less effort in before will now actually probably be worse, right? And one of the things that you added about the world having so much content, I, I now think that ChatGDP will help good content stand out, right? Because with the explosion of bad content, then good content actually stands out pretty well. So I think people, anyone listening, I, I tend to agree with Chris, this is an, actually a once in life opportunity for you guys to take your skills and your game to the next level, right? And I think we'll actually probably have a lot of smaller companies that do eight figures, right? You're gonna have a lot of two man shows doing 10 figures, um, which would be great. But I, I tend to agree with all your stuff, which makes sense. You've, your leader has been around for 17 years. You've seen the, you've seen the changing dynamic of the world. Um, before I let you go, cause I'm going to, cause we're going a little bit late. Talk to me about Morgan Freeman on your wall. And uh, the, what's that called? What's that? What is that movie? Why did I forget? It's which uh, one? the Shawshank. The Shawshank. Yeah. Tell me about that wall. You got a lot of good pictures and you got a yeah, lot of, I mean, uh, that's my wall. I've had this wall of movies at, uh, seven different offices over the year. I've moved offices, work from a home. I mean, I worked from a home office for nine years before it was cool to be remote. Um, and you know, COVID happened and all that. So this wall's always been with me. I like movies. I'm a big movie guy. 
Um, so, you know, they're actually vinyl stickers that I've, I've custom printed. Um, and and the, the, the formation of them always changes a little bit depending on the wall. I've had walls with windows. I've had walls without windows. So every time I move offices, I peel them down and I re-put them up. And it's kind of like my, my painstaking. I knew there was a story behind that wall. Yeah, I, 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 I'm a child, right? I have... We're all children. Look at my, you look at my office. I have, and it's movies, and I collect Legos. Why um, should you not be a child? Getting older just know. means that we're getting worse at copying ourselves. It's yeah. We're all so children. My, my office is my. I had a one of my one of my sales leaders' sons was in the office the other day, and he just spent like twenty five minutes playing with all my toys and you know all that stuff. But always be a big. I'm a big child too. Just transparently, I'm a believer <laughs> keeping it real. Um, well, thank you for being on the show. I, I, I appreciate you being a guest and sharing some insights. We're definitely going to have you back on. I hope to see you in Medellin for the Sales Agency Growth Summit. I'm not sure if you're even aware of that, but I'm going to invite you to it. Um, and then for anybody who wants to connect with you to learn more, to be inspired, to ask questions, to have you help them with demand gen, um, how can they reach you? What's the best channel for them to find you? Uh, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the most place I'm most active from a social standpoint, right? You can just search Chris Rack and Demand Science um, and you can reach out to me directly. Our website, demandscience.com, will eventually get to me or somebody on my team um, take care from that side as well. So anything, you know, again, we specialize in, uh, you know, top of funnel intent data type services to help, you know, both sellers and, and marketers really focus on what I call making the haystack smaller, right? So times are tough. Right, you're going to have to. You have less resources, less budgets to do more with, and you have to cover your big TAM. You know, we help you really, really hyper focus on the the accounts that have the highest propensity to buy, and then activate them into leads and and obviously opportunities for your team. So happy to happy to connect with anybody on the call or anybody looking for um, some help in that space. Chris, appreciate you. You're the man. I'm going to continue to pick your brain. Everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Transform Sales Podcast. Have a good day, Chris. Awesome. Thanks, Amir. Take care, buddy.